Amen. Well, good morning, everyone. Beautiful day. Finally got a couple of beautiful days. I'm stoked. We're in Ephesians chapter 1, if you want to turn there. Ephesians chapter 1. AC is going. It feels awesome. Ephesians chapter 1. I told you we'd be crawling through this. I think we're on our fourth week now. And we haven't even gotten out of chapter 1. Such good stuff. So important for us to understand fully these first three chapters in the book of Ephesians because they describe our position in Jesus Christ. And it's so important for you to understand who you are in Christ. And when you understand fully who you are in Christ Jesus, guess what? Then you're going to be able to live for Jesus to the fullest. And so what we're going to look at today is we're going to look at the mysteries, that there's all these mysteries in the Bible where we see Christ revealing the mystery by the Holy Spirit to His church. And so look at verse 8, chapter 1, verse 8. It says this, Wherein He hath abounded toward us in all wisdom and prudence, having made known unto us the mystery of his will, according to his good pleasure, which he hath purposed in himself, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in heaven and which are on earth, even in him. Father, we thank you for the word of God. And Lord, we thank you for the Holy Spirit that dwells in us, that reveals these mysteries to us. And you allow us to have a greater understanding of your purpose and your plan. And so we ask right now that you administer to us by the Holy Spirit to receive what we're looking at today and to be encouraged. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All through the Bible we see mysteries, things hidden, the word mysterion in the Greek, something that's a secret to be revealed at the right time. And God does these things for a purpose, to make known to us clearly something that has been hidden before the foundations of the world, and then at his perfect timing, he shows you and me something by the Holy Spirit to encourage us to understand his plan a little bit clearer. And as we look in the, the New Testament, we see so many mysteries. The, the mystery of the gospel, the mystery of the church, which was hidden before the foundations of the world. The mystery of the rapture of the church. The mystery of his grace. We even see some negative things. The, the, the mystery of iniquity. Speaking of the Antichrist, who hasn't been revealed yet, but will be. The mystery of Babylon, the mystery of the woman riding the beast, some scary stuff that's yet future, but I think real soon coming up. But the mystery of his grace and his plan for you and me, the mystery of his word and the gospel and how the resurrection of Jesus Christ changed everything. Because why? Because he paid the price for our sins on the cross. And then he offers us the gift of salvation, which just blew the mind of the Old Testament believers because 
Now we're no longer under the law. He put an end to the law. We are dead to the law, the Scripture says, because we are now under a higher authority, the Lord Jesus Christ. And it's by His grace that we are saved and not by anything that we've done. And it's amazing to think about that, to dwell on that, to ponder on that. He did it all. And that, that gospel of grace just blows people away. And some people have a real hard time dealing with it because it's too simple. Because we live in a world that nothing's free, right? And when someone says, hey, it, it's free, you go like, what's the catch? What do I got to do? And when you tell people about the gospel that it's a free gift, they go, well, what's the catch? Nothing. It, you're, you're saved by faith. Well, what do I got to do? You, you can't do anything. Well, the, how much does it co- doesn't cost a thing? It doesn't make sense, I know. That's, the, that's just the amazing love of Jesus Christ and the Father. To grab on to the fact that He did it all, we've got nothing to do with it, and He offers us the free gift of salvation. Choose Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, live forever. Sometimes I read the Word of God and I just go, wow. The mystery of His grace. Because He'd be revealing His grace to us throughout the centuries, throughout throughout eternity. He'll be revealing His grace, the mind-blowing grace of God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 7, I'm going to be going through a lot of verses today, so if you're taking notes, just write it down to save time instead of trying to find it. 1 Corinthians 2, 7, But we speak the wisdom of God in a mystery, even the hidden wisdom which God ordained before the world unto our glory, which none of the princes of this world knew, for had they known it, they would not have crucified the Lord of glory. But as it is written, eye hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither have entered into the heart of the man the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. (coughs) Excuse me. God keeps things from us for our own benefit. He said here if he would have revealed the mystery of his hidden wisdom that the princes of the world wouldn't have crucified him, but he had to be crucified to pay the price for our sins. And so he reveals things in his perfect timing. And so what you and I need to understand is God has a mystery plan for this world and for you. And it's always a mind blower when he starts to reveal his plan for me and I start to see it. Because sometimes he can bring me to a place where I don't want to be and I'm not seeing it and then he reveals it. I go, oh, that's what you're doing. All right. And I think that's happened to you too. God has a mystery plan which is revealed by the Holy Spirit unto his church. He's doing amazing things through the church in this world. We are the salt. We are the light. We are the preservative. Keeping this world from being judged. Because why? Because we're still here. In Ephesians 6.19, he says, And for me, Paul says, The utterance may be given unto me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. And the mystery of the gospel is what I've already just told you, is that the fact that you're saved by faith and not by works. You're saved by grace, not by the law. God put an end to the law. He fulfilled the law at the cross. He was the only one that could keep the law. The law was our schoolmaster to convince us of sin. 
And so the gospel has been revealed to you and me, and we are called to reveal this mystery to unbelievers and to get the good news out to unbelievers. Do, do you realize the mystery that God makes you go through sometimes to get you to a place that you don't want to be to give the gospel to someone? And you see that mystery unfolded, right? You got your plans, right? How many of you plan your days? I plan my days. How many of you ever had your plans messed up? Oh, now more hands go up. Okay. So you are planning. You know, one of, the, one of my things is I, I, I pray to God every morning before I get out of bed. I talk to him all day long. And I give him my plans and my ideas, but I, I oftentimes finish my prayer with, Lord, come on in and mess up all my plans. And what I'll find is sometimes I have these plans and I'm going here, I'm going there, and all of a sudden I can't get word to where I'm supposed to be or the car breaks down and I'm stuck on the side of the highway and I'm, my plans are all messed up and I'm all bummed out and, and then the Lord brings a tow truck driver who needs the gospel. And all of a sudden the mystery is revealed and I get to share the mystery of the gospel, salvation by faith. Just change your mind to who Jesus Christ is and come to the Lord. And have eternal life. I always marvel at the mystery of his grace. I'm amazed that he's shown me so much grace that he's forgiven me so much. I'm amazed that he keeps extending his grace to me. Even in the midst of my failures. The mystery of his grace, the riches of his grace. We are saved by grace. <clears throat> but we can struggle with that. I think oftentimes what we struggle with is, is the grace that God shows others. Right? And how many times we forget how much grace he's shown us. And when we look at other people, sometimes we get really annoyed with brothers and sisters in the Lord because we see that they're in sin. And we want God to deal with them. We want God to take them to the woodshed. But, oh, Lord, be patient with me. I'm working on my stuff. Right? And how many times have you got upset seeing a brother and sister who's kind of fallen away, they're backslidden, you're even questioning if they're even saved? And they're living in the world and immorality and, and doing all these things, and, and all of a sudden they get clarity, they come back to the Lord, they repent, <coughs> and God heals them. And God blesses them. And then all of a sudden you're upset, you're like, God, really, you're blessing them? And we almost act like the prodigal, you know, the story of the prodigal son, right? Which really isn't so much a story about the prodigal that ran off, but it's more of his brother that stayed behind. And you guys know the story. The prodigal, he wanted his inheritance, said, give it to me now. He took the money and ran, partied it up, got prostitutes, got hammered, wasted all his money, hit rock bottom, comes back, says, Father, I've sinned against heaven, I've sinned against you. And you remember this story, God, uh, the father puts a ring on his finger, a, a, a new robe on him, they kill the fatted calf, they throw a big party, and everybody's stoked except his brother. He's not stoked because the father extended grace. He says, I can't believe you. I've been here all this time serving you faithfully. He runs off and he just does all this stuff and he comes back and you put a robe on him and a ring and throw a party for him? And the father said, yeah, he was lost, but now he's found. He was dead, and now he's alive. 
And we should rejoice in those things. But sometimes we can get bitter over those things. But we, then we've got to stop and realize how much grace has God shown us. And then we, sh- then we can rejoice with the grace that he shows others. In Ephesians chapter 3, <coughs> excuse me, Paul says this, verse 1, For this cause I, Paul, the prisoner of Jesus Christ for you Gentiles, if you have heard of the dispensation of the grace of God which is given me to you, word, how that by revelation he made known unto me the mystery, as I wrote afore in a few words, whereby when you read, you may understand the knowledge in the mystery of Christ, which is in other ages was not made known unto the sons of men, as it is now revealed unto his holy apostles and prophets, check it out, by the Spirit that the Gentiles should be fellow heirs and of the same body and partakers of the promise in Christ by the gospel. Wherefore, I was made a minister according to the gift of the grace of God given to me by the effectual working of his power. And so he reveals a mystery that was hidden from the foundations of the world. Number one, the church. The Old Testament believer didn't see the church, the bride of Christ coming. They didn't see that that was going to happen at Pentecost on that day. They didn't see... The, the, the gospel, they didn't understand that Gentiles were going to get saved. If you would have asked any Jew back in those days if Gentiles could be saved, they would say, no way. Gentiles, God is going to use to fuel hell. Seriously, that's what they thought. So this was a mind-blowing mystery that was revealed that there is no longer Jew or Gentile but one in Christ. And that's the beauty, that God brings all people who choose him unto himself. We all become one in Christ. No more man, no more woman, no more bond or free, no more Jew or Gentile. One in Jesus Christ, the bride of Christ. Colossians 1.26 says this, Even the mystery which we hath been hid from our ages and from generations, but now is made manifest to his saints. To whom God would make known what is the riches of his glory of this mystery among the Gentiles, which is Christ in you, the hope and glory. Now we read that, we go right past that super fast and we miss what he's really saying. What is the mystery that he says is being revealed by the church? Is that we have Christ in us. Do you understand how important that is? Because you got to understand the Old Testament believer didn't have Christ dwelling in them. Didn't have the Holy Spirit in them. You will not find that anywhere in the Old Testament. You will find places where the Holy Spirit comes upon certain individuals like Samson, like David, like Saul. But the Holy Spirit did not dwell in the individual. Not until after the resurrection. And that's when it took place. And now that's what makes us so unique. Is that we have Christ in us. The hope and the glory. And what about the mystery that's revealed to you every time you pick up the Word of God and read it. You know those special moments when you all of a sudden read something for the hundredth time and all of a sudden you get it? And God's revealed another mystery to you through His Word of God, through the reading of His Word, through the hearing of His Word. And I think how many times I've read through Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel and go, what was that? You know, you're just like, 
I don't know what that's saying. I don't, I don't have a clue, but I know his, his word won't come back void, so I'll just keep reading it. And when you don't understand Scripture, it's, it's one or two things. Either there's the absence of the Holy Spirit or the absence of other Scripture that brings light to the Scripture that you're reading. So if you're part of the church and you have the Holy Spirit, then it's not the absence of the Holy Spirit. It's the absence of having other Scripture that would be a light to illuminate that particular verse that you don't understand. That's why we say read your Bible. Because you'll read your Bible and you say, I don't get that. And then weeks later, you'll find yourself in a completely different area in the Bible. And all of a sudden, you read something and you go, oh, that's what Ezekiel was saying. That's what Isaiah meant. And God just brings it to light. His perfect timing, though. And isn't the Bible being revealed to us every time we read it more and more? I mean, I'm wondering how much do we really understand of this word? Because I know a lot of us, you know, we've read it a lot. We think we know a lot. And you might think, you know, I, I think I know about 70% of it. I bet we probably don't even understand 10% of it. Because there's so much there. It's alive and living. And we're constantly learning. And after all the years of studying the Bible, I'm still learning. And it's amazing. It blows me away. And that God, by the Holy Spirit, reveals things to us. The mystery of his word. And we even see in Jesus' time when he did his ministry on the earth that he, we saw him do a switch as uh, you look at the kingdom parables, the seven kingdom parables, where he starts speaking in parables. Matthew 13, the seven kingdom parables. And he starts speaking in parables to the people. And then his, his disciples go, why are you speaking in parables? He goes, well, so they won't necessarily understand. Well, why would you do that? Because they've hardened their hearts. See, Matthew 12 tells us that Jesus performed a miracle and they ascribed it to Satan working through Jesus. And Jesus is like, really? A kingdom divided can't stand. And it was at that point that the nation of Israel turned their back on Jesus and his ministry and why he was there. It didn't say every Jew did, but Israel as a whole, as a nation, and at that point, Matthew 12, Jesus stops talking to them straightforward. Now, he was really straightforward in the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7. That was pretty straightforward stuff. But then all of a sudden, this turning event in Matthew 12, he says, Listen, from now on, I'm only going to speak to them in parables. And the reason I'm going to speak to them in parables is that they won't understand it without the Holy Spirit. And so we know that God is a rewarder of those that diligently seek him, though these people were not born again the parables coming alongside a truth that the Holy Spirit came alongside you and me revealing, illuminating a truth in our life about Jesus Christ. And as we began to seek truth, God was a rewarder of those that diligently seek him. And we came to know Jesus Christ. And so what was happening as, as Jesus teaches these parables that he realizes that, uh, that the, the nation has turned... They're back on Jesus, and so now the true seekers will understand because the Holy Spirit will come alongside and illuminate those things. And I don't know if you've ever looked at those kingdom parables in Matthew 13, um, but there's some great stuff there. We touched on it a little bit last time, last week. Um, but Jesus comes in, and he, he talks about, remember the first two parables, he talks about um, they were soils. We have, the, we have the parable of the soils, the four soils, the first one. Then we have the parable of the, the tares and the wheat. 
And then his disciple goes, well, why, why are you speaking in parables? And, he, and he, he makes this amazing statement. He says this, because it is given unto you to know the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven, but to them it is not given. For whosoever hath to him shall be given, and he shall have more abundance, but whosoever hath not from him will be taken away even that he has. Therefore I speak unto them in parables, because they seeing see not, and hearing hear not, neither do they understand. And in them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, which saith, By hearing you shall hear, and shall not understand, and seeing you shall see, and shall not perceive. For these people's heart has waxed gross, their eyes are dull, of, are dull, and their ears are dull of hearing, and their eyes they have closed, lest at any time that they should see with their eyes and hear with their ears and should understand with their heart and should be converted, and I should heal them. But blessed are your eyes, for they see, and your ears, for they hear. For verily I say unto you that many prophets and righteous men have desired to see those things which you see and have not seen them, and to hear those things which you have heard and have not heard them. Hear therefore the parable of the sower. And he starts to tell him the interpretation of the four soils. And he uses these idioms. He uses these idioms in Matthew 13 that are consistent throughout the scriptures. And I don't know if you know what an idiom is, but idioms are when uh, the Holy Spirit uses a, a term to describe something and it's consistent throughout the scriptures. Like Jesus is, is called the rock, Right? Jesus is called the rock. And we know he's the chief cornerstone. Paul said he was the rock that was in the wilderness. We build upon the rock. We know that speaks of Jesus Christ. So when he does these kingdom parables, the amazing thing that we see here is with the first soil, he lays it out to us. He says, uh, the field is the world. And the seed represents the word of God. And the sower is the son of man and the birds that snatch up the seed are workers of Satan. And that's, so that's going to be consistent throughout the parables. And you know the four soils. The seed went on the wayside. The birds snatched it up. The seed went in rocky ground, didn't have any root. And then the seed went in thorny ground, got choked out. But then some seed landed on good ground. And that good ground brought forth an abundance. And God wants to bring forth an abundance in your life. And so he used these idioms to describe these things. But then... He, he interprets two of them, but then he goes on uh, to speak about these other ones, and you kind of go, well, why didn't, why didn't the guys ask him to interpret those? I mean, it, it would seem like that they should interpret those, but for some reason, by the Holy Spirit, they understood exactly what he was saying. And these other five, and they were kind of, I mean, kind of crazy. So, so if you read the, the kingdom parables and you don't understand what they're saying, it's because you're missing out on scripture that will bring light to those parables. So he talks about this one, um, this, this third one, which is the kingdom of heaven is, is uh, like a man who takes a mustard seed and plants it. It grows into such a great tree that it even houses the birds of the air. Now that sounds cute, doesn't it? That's sweet. A little tree, a big tree, giant tree, houses the birds of the air. But the problem is the birds of the air in the first parable were the workers of Satan. So what is he saying? He gives this example that the kingdom of heaven is like a, a, a mustard seed. That the church is going to grow so radically big 
that it's even going to house the birds of the air. And some people think, well, that's, it, that just means, you know, it's going to just draw on all kinds of people. Yeah, it, it does mean that. But remember that the birds are the enemy. They were the workers of Satan. And so what he's really saying is that the church is going to grow so big that even the enemy is going to join. If you're looking for the ways of Satan, don't overlook the pulpits in these end times. The church is so large, there's big business in church now. People get involved because there's money to be made in big, big churches, TV and all that stuff. And then he goes to this next one. He says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened. And some people preach that all it just shows that the church is going to one day unify and all come together and we can all sing kumbaya and it'd be awesome. That's not what it's saying. See, if you understand the Old Testament, it brings light to what he's saying right there. And in the Old Testament, the fellowship offering was three measures of meal. We see that with Abraham when Jesus comes with two angels to meet him. He gets prepared three measures of meal, but there's, there's no leaven in it. It's unleavened. And so when Jesus comes along and he says, the kingdom of heaven is like unto leaven, which a woman took and hid in three measures of meal till the whole was leavened, you want to gasp in horror because you don't do that. Because leaven is a type of what? Sin. All through the Bible. Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. A little leaven leavens the whole lump. And so what is he going to say? What is he saying there? He's saying that, listen, watch out. The church is going to grow so big that people are going to introduce leaven, false doctrine, false teaching, idol worship. They're going to bring back the law. They're going to put you in bondage of legalism. Beware. And last week I shared one with you. Remember the, the treasure that was in the field? That a man found a treasure that was in a field and he went and sold all he had to buy that field so he could have that treasure? And remember, the field is a type of the world in these, par in these parables. So what is it saying? It's saying that Jesus so loved the field. John 3, 16. For God so loved the field that he gave his only begotten son. That the Lord went and gave everything he had to buy the world because he loved them, because he wanted the treasure that was hidden in that field. And you're the treasure. And when he said that to the disciples, they probably went, oh, man, that's awesome. Yeah, we're the treasure. But then he says this crazy one that the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant man seeking goodly pearls who, when he had found one pearl of great price, he went and sold all they had and bought it. You say, well, what's the big deal with that? Well, here's the thing. What he was revealing to the disciples by the Holy Spirit was that Gentiles would get saved. The treasure hid in the field, they go, yeah, that's us. A guy that goes out and buys a pearl and spends all he has to get that pearl, they go, whoa, Gentiles? How, why do I say that? Because pearls are not kosher. See, a Jew would, would trade in pearls to make money, but he didn't value them at all. He didn't prize them at all because they're not, they're, they're not kosher. And, and so it's a clearly a gentile thing in malachi 3:17, god talks about his jewels that he's the gathering of his jewels he makes the, that make up his jewels and, and then he puts out this parable which is a mind-blowing thing because it speaks to gentiles that gentiles will get saved and the interesting thing about a pearl is this a pearl is the only jewel that comes from a living organism 
and he's describing us. This is great. Check this out. Because a pearl is brought about by an introduced irritation. It's formed by accretion to be removed from its place of origin to be an item of adornment. And that's the Gentile bride. It's amazing to think about. And unfortunately, at the time of those parables, the nation of Israel had already turned their back. And it broke the heart of God. Romans 11.25 says, For I would not, brethren, that you should be ignorant of this mystery, lest that you should be wise in your own conceits, that blindness in part has happened to Israel until the fullness of Gentiles become in. See, the, the, the church at large is primarily Gentile. How many, how many, anybody here Jewish? There you have it. Okay, we got one. The church is primarily Gentile. Thousands of Jews have gotten saved. Day of Pentecost, 3,000 got saved. But the church primarily at large today is Gentile. And, and that broke the Lord's heart when the nation of Israel turned their back. Because they will be blind until the fullness of the Gentiles has come in. That means when, when the church is full, when, when that last person gives their life to Jesus Christ and the father looks at the son and says, go get your bride, and the church is taken out, then God will deal with Israel and their eyes will be open for the first time in 2,000 years. And oh, what a day will that be. In John 1.10, he says, he was in the world, and the world was made by him, and the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. That's probably one of the saddest verses in the Bible. He came unto his own, but his own received him not. Now check out, check out this too. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 9, it says, And to make all men see what is the fellowship of the mystery which from the beginning of the world has been hid in God, who created all things by Jesus Christ, to the intent that now unto the principalities and the powers in heaven, heavenly places might be known by the church the manifold wisdom of God. That's a mind-blowing thing to think about. That here, Check this out. Angels are looking into what we're doing as the church because God is revealing His plan through the church and the angels don't understand the plan. And the angels are watching you to see God reveal his plan through you. So, in other words, we're, re we're receiving something and understanding things by the power of the Holy Spirit that the angels don't even know. And the angels are watching you. They're looking at you to find out God's plan. That's pretty cool and a little scary. Right? In 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 10, he tells us that as we gather together and we're worshiping and we're reading the Bible and we're studying, that Angels desire to look into what we're doing. So right now, angels are in this room. Angels show up to Bible study. And, and don't think the enemy's not here too. You know, a lot of times we think the enemy just waits in the car for us. Right? You had an argument with your wife all the way here. 
You scream and yell at each other. You get out of the car and you walk up to the door and somebody greets you. You go, oh, praise the Lord. How are you, brother? And your whole family looks at you like, who are you, right? Or you have a fight with the kids. You're screaming all the way and then we get out of the car and we act holy, right? And we think Satan stayed in the car. No, he comes right in and he sits down. There's a, there's a spiritual warfare going on right now. There's a battle going on in front of us. Angels are present. They're battling off the enemy because as the word of God goes out, that seed, the enemy wants to come in and snatch it up. If you're here today and you don't know Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, the enemy is doing everything to blind you, to not receive the truth, and the angels are here to protect you, to beat off the enemy so the word of God can be taught. Angels desire to hear what's being taught in the church because it reveals God's plan and they start to understand God's plan by watching us. Wow. I remember one time years ago, a woman after the service came up to me and she was weeping. And I said, what's wrong? She goes, while you were teaching, there was a huge angel standing behind you. And I was like, really? I thought that was, I was like, if you guys ever see that, let me know. <laughs> right? Because I remember once, and it was funny because I remember years before she said that, I remember another pastor giving testimony that someone had saw uh, this pastor teaching the word of God and that there was an angel with a sword drawn, a huge angel behind him with a sword drawn. There's stuff going on in the spiritual realm you and I don't have a clue about. And the angels desire to look into the things that God is doing through us. Now in verse 9, it speaks of the mysteries of his will in the good pleasure. Ephesians 1, verse 9, having made known unto us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure which he hath purposed in himself. What does that mean? That means Jesus does what he wants when he wants, whenever he wants. Because it pleases him. What does that mean? That means he doesn't check in with you. <laughs> he doesn't put it to a vote. He doesn't go, hey Steve, what do you think about that? He does whatever he wants, whenever he wants, according to his will and his good pleasure. And it pleases him to do things like that. Why? Because he does what's right. He does what's just. He does what's holy. Isaiah 53.10 says this, Yet it pleased the Lord to bruise him. He has put him to grief when you make his soul an offering for sin. What is that saying? It said, it pleased the Father to allow the Son to be beaten and crucified for your sakes that you might have eternal life. Wow. It not only pleased the Father, it pleased Jesus. They were in full agreement. This is what was going to be done. And the horrific pain and suffering that Jesus went through, He did it because He wanted to do it because He wanted you to be saved and to have eternal life. And it pleased Him. And so as we look at all these mysteries, the mystery of the church hidden before the foundations of the world, the mystery of the rapture of the church, which is spoken of in 1 Corinthians 15, 51, it was a mystery that we would not all sleep, but that God would blow a trumpet and call us out of here, and I think that's really soon. And then there's the mystery of iniquity, a crazy thing to think about that there's going to be an Antichrist that will be revealed. And the mystery of iniquity is talked about in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2. The Thessalonians thought they missed the rapture. 
and Paul had to settle them down because they received a letter. They thought they missed the rapture. They thought, they thought the emperor was the Antichrist. They thought they missed the rapture. and They were in the tribulation. Paul sends a letter and he says, listen, calm down. Remember what I taught you. You can't be in the tribulation because there has to be a gathering together of you unto Jesus Christ before that. And you can study it for yourself. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2 says all this. He says there must be a gathering of his people unto himself. And then, when that happens, and the one who restraineth sin stops restraining, then the mystery of iniquity will be revealed, this Antichrist. We have to be gone. A lot of people looking for the Antichrist. A lot of people, got, we all got ideas who the Antichrist is, don't we? I'll tell you what, I'm not looking for the Antichrist. I'm looking for Jesus Christ. Because I'm not going to know who the Antichrist is until we're taken out of here. And then he'll be revealed. Because the one that restraineth is restraining. The one that's holding evil back. And who is that? Who is holding evil back? Well, we'll say the Holy Spirit. Well, you say, well, if the Holy Spirit is restraining evil, he's doing a lousy job. Right? But the real restrainer is the church. It is the Holy Spirit. Don't misunderstand me. But it's the Holy Spirit that dwells in the church that is restraining evil right now. You are the salt and the light of the world. God has given you that by the power of the Holy Spirit. You are a preservative that is keeping this world from judgment right now. You as the body of Christ, we as the body of Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit, are restraining evil because if, if evil was let loose, it would be crazy. But when God gathers, 2, Corinthians, uh, 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, when God gathers his people unto him, what happens? The church is removed, that restraining power is removed, and all hell breaks loose on the earth, and it's called the tribulation. And, and then the Antichrist rises up because Ezekiel 38 would have happened. There's a worldwide chaos because the church has disappeared, as craziness has gone on, and he comes up with a seven-year peace treaty for for Israel in the Middle East, and then he helps them to rebuild their temple, and then three and a half years into the tribulation, he sits down, proclaims himself to be God, and everybody worship him or die. Take the mark of the beast. Crazy. Interesting stuff, but you, guess what? We're not going to be there. That's the good news. So we don't have to be looking for the Antichrist, the mystery of iniquity. We just need to be looking for Jesus Christ. And in verse 10, what we see is the mystery of his purpose, that in the dispensation of the fullness of times, he might gather together in one all things in Christ, both which are in the heaven and which are on the earth, even in him. That is an amazing verse for me personally. I love this, the mystery of his purpose. What is his purpose? What is he trying to do? He's trying to bring all mankind unto himself by offering the free gift of salvation, and then he has a plan for the body of Christ. He has a plan for the believer. He has a plan for all, for the, all those in heaven and for those on earth that choose him. And that's to gather them all together unto himself. And we're going to see a picture of that in the millennial kingdom reign, right? 
So the church is taken out. The world goes through a seven-year tribulation. At the end of the seven-year tribulation, he blows these trumpets and he gathers all the people that have survived through the tribulation and he brings them into the millennial kingdom reign, a thousand-year reign where Christ sets up his kingdom and shows us how it should have been. (laughs) This is how the world should have been. And he refurbishes the whole world and it's like the Garden of Eden and it's like, you know, you're probably talking with animals and everything, lions are laying down with lambs and it's just an awesome time. But the, the biggest, biggest thing is something that's going to happen at the end because he talks about gathering together all, the, all those in heaven and all those in earth and the biggest thing that we're going to see is what's going to happen at the end because at the end of the thousand year millennial kingdom reign Satan will be loosed once more time from the bottomless pit he will rebel and try to get everybody else to rebel against Jesus Jesus will smoke him as he tries to surround his army around Jerusalem he will take him out and he will cast him into the lake of fire and then guess what happens this is crazy you guys heard of the great white throne it's not for us. It's not for believers. It's for unbelievers. And what God does, he, 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 like, he just whites out. The heavens roll up like a scroll. The heavens and the earth pass away. And the great white throne of judgment is now in place. And all the world, all those that rejected Jesus Christ will be delivered up and stand before Jesus Christ. Every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. And then he'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. One at a time. The great white throne. You're not there because we're believers. But the amazing thing is this, because I don't don't know about you. How many have read Genesis 1-1? Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Right? I mean, when there was nothing, and God said, let there be light. And he created the heavens and the earth, Genesis 1-1. Well, guess what? You are going to be there. Because it says after the great white throne judgment, when heaven and earth is passed away, he says that then he's going to make a new heaven and a new earth and a new Jerusalem will come down. And guess what? You and I will be there. We will see him with a cleared white canvas and he'll speak everything into existence just like he did in Genesis 1-1. And we'll see him create a new heaven, a new earth, and we'll see the new Jerusalem come down, and we will be with him forever. Amen. Father, we thank you for that, those promises. Those are the things that drive us to keep going. In this crazy world, Lord, where it just seems like every day we're up and down and all over the place and beaten up and encouraged and and discouraged and but lord we keep our eyes on you that's the key and so lord as we look to you for all things you give us our strength to persevere to finish this race and to finish well and so lord we thank you for that we pray for a fresh filling right now lord of the holy spirit that we could get through this week lord god because it could be crazy lord help us to keep the armor of god on us at all times, Lord, and to be the light and the salt for all the people around us, Lord. Help us to administer the grace of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that mystery revealed, Lord God. And if there's someone here today you don't know Jesus Christ, won't you accept him into your heart right now? If that's you, just say, Lord, I believe you are who you are. I change my mind about you. I believe you're the creator of all things and that there is only one way and you're the way. 
And Lord, forgive me of my sins and make me a child of God. Save me now. If you just prayed that in your heart, you're a child of God, come see me after the service. I'd love to pray for you. We just love what God's doing, and we look forward to what he's going to do this week. Amen? Amen. Amen. God bless you guys.